0: and an indó askeige e Táim imíchttaí e dhéhsachcht ar e in si I I a of chacht a máchan seo gur féidir é chor iúigh ceart lena win
1: féin. Skilti fis Turmi.
0: Tá sé nach ara igornamion g gonamán an che sinna eá. Bhí antám a gin ná grh ááchttum fracht séthrin grn Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This week on the Indo Daily.
1: I actually don't believe right, that priest said I have any harm. He just like thought I knew. But that's how I found that Miriam Machina was dead. How likely is it that Trump will be found guilty of paying hush money to former adult film star Stormy Daniels? We're talking about involvement in serious drugs activity on both sides of the border and as well as at the procurement of weapons. Find and follow us
0: at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website.
1: The Six Nations on the Left Wing Podcast you got to keep an eye on the future, Sinead, uh, in anything. You know, can you imagine you go to Ferrari and their factory saying, no, we're not worried about what's going to happen in two or three years' time. They, they've already designed the car for the future. They're just tweaking it, and they're always going to do that to stay ahead of the, of the competition. So, yeah, it's, it's a simple principle, but it's not easy. The choice is really theirs as it is everybody else. You don't look back, you know, and start crying about it. You, you move forward and you, there's uh, consequences for things.
0: Hello and welcome to the left wing. I'm Sinead Kassan. Now, as part of our countdown to Saturday's Six Nations game between Italy and Ireland in Rome, we've an interview with an Irishman with an inside track on the development of Italian rugby. Steve Nabood worked for 26 years with the RFU in various roles, including developing player pathways. In August 2016, he started working for the Italian Rugby Federation as the Head of Technical Direction for the Development of Players and Coaches. His contract with them finished in June last year. Now, I first asked Stephen to take us back nearly seven years ago and how it came about that he started working with the Italian Rugby Federation.
1: It was uh, simple enough. I had done 26 years, Sinead, um, at the Irish Rugby Union, and it was a fantastic 26 years. It was probably the only thing I knew, and... um, I decided that at that time there were significant changes coming in and I needed to reflect and say, OK, what am I going to do for the next 11 years? Am I going to stay? Am I going to go? Am I going to add value here? And I decided to apply for a career break. Um oh. Unfortunately, it was rejected <laughs> in a very flattering way. They told me that I was uh, what I did was too important to give me a career break. So, but my mind was already made up. I really needed uh, to challenge myself at, the, at that stage, and um, so I decided, you know, obviously that I had to leave because um, I couldn't take the break. And I was very lucky. Um, England were on very very quickly about high performance coach development and. They wanted me to go over within two weeks and have a meeting. And I thought, oh, my God, okay, it looks like I could be going to London. Um, And the Italians, who I knew very well, especially the head of rugby, Ashione, um, he found out. So the next thing I knew was I said, no, listen, don't don't travel over. This is a great story is don't travel over. He said, I'm coming over with Gavazzi, the president, and we want to meet you and have a, a conversation, a chat. And I said, oh, okay. So the next thing I knew, I'm ending up in, in the Gresham Hotel for this cup of coffee. You go up the stairs and you go to his suite and Gavati's sitting there. And and he's, God bless him, he's dead um, last year, but he's a quite intimidating but direct figure. And uh, he's sitting there at his uh, table and his tea and coffee set out and... Franco's there a little bit nervous saying, listen, you know, we want to talk to you about a three-year contract, maybe if you can come to Italy. And I said, okay, so um, the next thing is Gavatti takes out a linen napkin. Now, I'm not a, a regular at the Gresham, but a linen napkin comes out and a pen. And he starts sketching out a job description. Um, At that time, it was, you know, working with elite player development and coach development and working with the staff and working with Connor and the pathway. And the next thing he maps out four years and he keeps writing year five, year six.
0: That's a big linen napkin.
1: (laughs) That's a big linen napkin. And the next thing is I'm looking at it and he signs it. Now, the only thing that was missing was like the godfather theme at that stage, because I only came in for a cup of coffee. As far as I was concerned, maybe I was going to go going to England. And he stands up and moves the napkin across the table for me to sign. Well So, you know, as naive as I was, I signed it. And the next, <laughs> thing, is, and the next thing is, I think it was uh, Franco jumps, jumps up and takes a photo of it and says, I'll send you that and the contract tomorrow. Now, you can imagine the drive home to Olive. I was going home to my wife and I was going, like... How are we going to explain this? You know, um, so and it was a handshake. It was as simple as that, but it was unbelievable. Uh, You know, the way you go through interviews and contracts. and It was a handshake and uh, a photograph of a napkin. Great story. You
0: still have the napkin?
1: No, I have the photograph. Uh, Oh, you have
0: the photograph, yeah.
1: Yeah, because it it was a heads of agreement, essentially. Um, And therefore, I knew within the conversation I had with the union uh, in December, I knew by mid-February that I was going to be going to Italy um, to take on that challenge.
0: And what did your wife, Olive, say at the time?
1: Well, she was totally supportive um, because she knew that I needed to do something else. um, And it just depended on whether at that stage it was going to be London or whether it was going to be Italy. Um, And she loved the idea. But obviously, when you go and you start looking at apartments and things like that, reality hits. And I can remember having a cup of coffee on our first visit to try and look at um, things like where I was going to stay. And as soon as we arrived, we basically had signed a, a lease on an apartment and we were having a cup of coffee in the um, in the Piazza Garibaldi in Parma and it's a beautiful place and we're looking at each other. And I hope she doesn't mind me saying, but she actually started crying <laughs> because the reality hit. Um, I was going to be away for six years. So, uh, yeah, it was it was like it was only yesterday, you know. Yeah. These memories, so yeah,
0: that's incredible. And of course, you had all that experience. You know, as you say, those twenty six years working with the RFU. When you went over there, what were those initial initial kind of cultural differences that you faced in Italy? Like, like for example, they don't play rugby in schools in Italy compared to here in Ireland, where obviously the school system is essential for the development of boys in rugby.
1: Yeah, um, it was a bigger challenge that I, than I had actually thought, because I, as I said, I had been going over there for the best part of twelve or fourteen years, and also France in my role with the IRFU. Um, but it was only when I landed that I realised the details that I hadn't, uh, that I hadn't thought about, or even I hadn't known, and therefore there was a feeling that this was either going to develop me to the level that I wanted, and the challenge that I wanted uh, in relation to a break, or it was going to kill me. Um it's it's as simple as that. There's no mid midpoint. You're either gonna uh you're either gonna give it one hundred percent or you're gonna be in trouble because yes, there is no school sport. Never mind rugby. So anybody who participates in sport is only because their parents pay for it and they have a connection with it. Um the other thing is they're at the bottom. They're absolutely at the bottom. Um and that doesn't help. Uh, we had that experience in the nineties um in Ireland when I started with the likes of willie anderson and eddie sullivan and these guys was a, there was only four of us and if we drew with scotland it was a, it was a good year in the five nations because we were outpowered at, at every level so that aspect wasn't strange to me but doing it again and you're trying to do it in six years um also that their governance is the president is the duches imperatore in relation to every decision in in every sport, nate not just in rugby and that's how it's voted in from the olympic council um, so there is no such thing as a democratic decision about something. You know, the president is, is the emperor. Uh, and the sport profile in Italy, I think, is about 11th. Soccer is king. Um, so that's what you're up against. And, but like everything else for me, the technical aspects of these things are simple. They're not easy. That's always been my philosophy about things. And it's about a combination of developing the competence of the people you work with, <coughs> as well as their belief. Um, And that was at an all-time low for sure. It was something that I hadn't experienced in a long time because obviously Irish rugby had kicked on and moved on. But similar to Irish rugby, there was a desire, there was a passion um, to succeed. And I had known some of the people before I would arrived, so I wasn't a stranger to them. I probably didn't know them as well, obviously, as I do now as very close friends. But there was, and I realized there was, a higher level of competence and belief that I would have uh, assumed before going in relation to the staff that I worked with. And um, it really is about what I wanted to do. It is about controlling that environment as much as possible, because it's not just players you're working with, it's teams, developing teams, is developing coaches and it's developing staff. It's no different than trying to develop a, a culture of maths in a school. You know, you can't just start with one teacher or one year. You have to look at the whole curriculum. You have to look at developing the quality of the teachers and you have to look at working together, which means having control and contact with the people in the pathway that you want to develop, which is all of them, including the staff. But most importantly, I suppose, is the thing that's not as common is the quality. You know, you can have maths every day and you can have teachers delivering maths every day to a curriculum. But if you don't have quality in those teachers, it's no different than staff, then you're not going to develop a long term plan. Um, I tend to use the analogy of maths or I tend to use the analogy of making wine. It doesn't make itself. So you've got to be very deliberate and you can't Worry about the opposition. You only focus on what you can do. So if you if you change your mindset, you then change the way you behave. You then change how effective you are, and then ultimately you get the results. But in sport, you're not in isolation, Sinead. You're you're always playing against somebody, and if they arrive with bigger guns, they're going to beat you. Um, and lucky enough, you know, um, maybe l- lucky enough isn't the right term, but a lot of the Opposition that we played maybe are not doing as well as they should in using their resources. So it gives you an opportunity. And that's exactly what happened in a nutshell. Um, I love reforming. I love developing people, systems. Maybe it's why I became a teacher 30 years ago, 31, 32 years ago. Um, No more, actually. God, 1986, I became a teacher. So maybe that aspect of reforming is still in my blood, um, and I love to see people who have passion, pride, uh, belief in themselves. Um, there's a really funny story. Alexander Troncon, who was the scrum half and captain um, of Italy, I think 101 times or something, who I became really good friends with. I remember arriving, and we're in South Africa together with the under 19s. And the first thing he kind of looked at me suspiciously because I really didn't know him well. And eventually, he just pulled me aside that evening. We're having coffee, and he says, "You know, you're not going to change anything." Italian rugby is not going to change. And I just looked and I said, said, you're probably right in some places. But I said, let's try and change the things that we can change. You know, Um, if we do that, then, you know, we'll do at least something for the time that we're here. If we can't change people, you can't change anybody who doesn't want to change. It goes back to that thing. But lucky enough, in the area that I worked in, nearly all the people I wanted were just absolutely hungry for change. And I became really close friends with them. And they're wonderful, wonderful people, as the people in Irish rugby that I'm close friends with, Um, they're wonderful people. So yeah, yeah, I can't complain.
0: Yeah, and just tell us about those systems and you know the what you put in place over there for for the underage system um, in Italian rugby, Stephen.
1: Yeah, control. The first thing we did is we, if you don't have contact like schools rugby, then you have to substitute some something in. Um, there was something in place. Uh, there was like about 12 regions um, where players came together regularly to try to train between 17 and uh, 18, 19. Um, and what we did was we just improved the quality by reducing it to four. And therefore, we're able then to work with the best players, with the best staff. If you spread it out too thin like anything else, um, you're going to misdirect direct. So that aspect of focusing that contact and increasing that contact. So we had a system where at under 17 and 18, we had four regions. Um, Now you think about this in Ireland, um, where would you send your son to uh, a school for two years at fourth year and fifth year away from home, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: away from home for two years? Okay. Not at home, away from home. And that gave us the opportunity to school them and to work with them in all aspects of rugby and technical and S&C. And then in their last year, equivalent to leaving CERT, which would have been under 19, we had the opportunity for a one or two-year program full-time in one region. So we reduced it from the best four to one, which is where I stayed in Parma. Um, It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, You have to go if you haven't been. And uh, so the National Academy was there. And again, we had the contact and the control. Uh, which was key in order to establish that the best quality we could work with was going to be reinforced. Um, so a simple idea, and then I suppose the one that maybe we're able to use that isn't as regular for a lot of other people in the Five Nations is because we had that control, we could then control how we interacted with the development program and the preparation of teams. So they weren't separate. So the approach and the philosophy and um, the direction we wanted to take was very clear, not just in development, but also in how that development uh, was manifested in the work we did with the team. So you had a very, very open philosophy that was reinforced. So we were able to reinforce not just the individual work, but the collective work. And I'd have to say it's really about the quality of staff. Um, I had fantastic staff who were open. And part of the development program was on a regular basis, on a monthly or six-weekly basis, was to work with them. Uh, to develop them and to answer their questions and to develop their competencies. So it's, it's quite an integrated staff, coach, team, player program because we had control, but remember, we didn't have schools rugby. Um, so we had to make up those hours, I suppose, in some way. And uh, yeah, the rest is just as I think is as simple as a result of, the, of that work and quality work we had with the, with the, with the whole group.
0: Yeah, and I know you said to me in an email last week when we were uh, going going through uh, the themes we touch on that your your job involves not seeing kind of the fruits of your work until after you leave. Like you know, with putting those systems in place though, there at the time though, you must have sensed uh, the benefit. You know that this was going to bring to Italian rugby.
1: Um, I suppose it's like again, yeah, it's like planting or starting a, a wine in industry you you think and you know that there's that there's potential you have to realize that it 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 doesn't develop it itself you're always going to get people who are going to be negative who are going to be doubters and in particular in a country where they haven't won or they haven't been successful and it's similar as i said to ireland back in the in the 90s it was until that generation in 96 went through the first academy that was professionally run and came out in 2001 and we started beating France away and winning Triple Crowns again, <clears throat> it takes time. And my role, yeah, it's it's never short-term, it's never in the moment, it's always in the future. Um, and that's something that you have to accept, <clears throat> that you're going to prepare the ground and you're going to prepare the product and you're going to prepare the grapes and you're going to nurture the land, but maybe you're never around to drink the wine. And yeah. that's just the reality of what people in development do is um, <clears throat> because when people are drinking the wine, they're already planning the harvest for two or three or four years time, because that's going to be your that future is going to be your present very, very quickly. And um, unfortunately, I think what I've observed in the Six Nations for sure is a lot of people are busy drinking wine, but they're not preparing the future. So therefore, as long as they have a couple of bottles each year, they're happy. But the reality is that it, it can't sustain itself a quality wine as a way of, I suppose, uh, as a metaphor. So, yeah, um, that aspect of of sticking with it and looking long long term um, is one of the frustrating things, especially when you know that things are coming through, You know that performances are getting better. You know that individuals are developing, both staff, coaches and players, but you're not getting a result, which is what everybody looks at because it's the easy thing, win, lose um i don't worry about it too much as long as the people that i work with um are tight i think that's important because it's not as simple maybe for them to go home and listen to their friends saying well you didn't win you nearly won you could have won yeah and you just have to reinforce that belief the whole time but it has to be based on some fact it has to be based on some measurement of improvement of performance and it's not a religious experience at the end of the day sports about winning and losing And yeah, so eventually you get close um, until you do win. And that happened at age grade level uh, in a progressive way. And then it became more consistent. So when it eventually seeps through to, say, Treviso, um, which won the URC, um, and uh, also, I suppose, the national squad is starting to win, then, yeah, you're not surprised. The wine's coming through. The bottles are being corked uh, and open and enjoyed. But you got to keep an eye on the future, Sinead, uh, yeah. in anything. You know, can you imagine you go to Ferrari and their factory saying, no, we're not worried about what's going to happen in two or three years time. They're they they've already designed the car for the future in Formula One. They're just tweaking it and they're always going to do that to stay ahead of the of the competition. So yeah, it's it's a simple principle, but it's not easy.
0: Yeah. So and then your contract ended with the Italian Federation last June. You obviously would have liked to have stayed on longer.
1: Absolutely. I think my wife would have liked it even more. Um, Olive and myself were... And the initial goal was to extend to 2027 to make sure so that... that happened,
0: there was obviously a new Italian... A new Italian Federation president came in. Was that how it changed?
1: It is. Um, as I said, every four years, every sport votes in their president. And um, every club, in actual fact, has a vote. So it's quite a huge process um, in every sport... So it, it, it wasn't a surprise because you follow a year beforehand, you follow what the trend is in terms of who the candidates are, no different than any political uh, exercise. Um, and therefore we knew who the candidates were and we knew that one would ensure that we continue along the pathway and continue along the investment of which we'd made. And we knew that the other was the, I suppose, the journey or the promise or the manifesto was the opposite. And it's classical politics. You know, there's no political party going to go in and go, you know, um, Fianna Fáil is not going to say, yes, we're going to do exactly what Sinn Féin are doing, but better. You know, it's, it doesn't happen like that. You vote on on the opposite. And and, and to be fair, I think he did a very good, uh, he did a very good, um, what's the word, he canvassing. And he got to the clubs and he got voted in. And that's fine. That's what happens in life. And so it's not a surprise. I remember at the time, uh, we're watching this on television, believe it or not, myself and Michael Bradley. We're sitting in uh, in Michael's apartment, which we're just allowed because COVID was just starting to ease up a bit. And we're looking at the election. We're just looking at each other and going, well, <laughs> well it's been a nice journey. But, you know, change is going to happen. And uh, it's no different than a lion taking over a pride. You know, it, it doesn't support the Cubs and the previous thing. It it works on a different uh promise and that's exactly what he's done and i had a very clear conversation and the nice thing about it is you can sit down face to face in a situation like this and go okay you know this is what i'm going to do and you're looking at it going well i don't agree I, I think it's the wrong thing to do and you're paying me to advise you so he says okay you know well then this is the, dire- the direction and um, you know maybe then there won't be you know a place for what we've been doing I said, it's fine there's no problem uh, thank you very much we'll Will be gone uh, at the end of the contract. Um, so, yeah, it it was an agreement to what was a lovely term. We agreed to disagree. Uh, but uh, he's the president, and you have to respect that position. That that position has the power, and you move on. Um yeah, so you look back, no different than how you see things when you leave a place. Uh, when you leave Italy or you leave Irish rugby, you look back and you go, "Well, you know, the vineyard is in really good hands. There's a lot of things going to come through, and there's a lot of good people." Or you look at it and go. I'm not sure concreting over that vineyard is a good idea, but you know what? It's your vineyard now, isn't it? And you just move on. Um, you can't spend time romantically sitting back in a melancholic state, worrying about what's not going to happen. You just move on, Sinead. It's, yeah. it's life.
0: Yeah, but you put so much, you know, emotionally, I imagine, you know, you left your family to move over there. You, were you heartbroken, though? When
1: <laughs> <happened>? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure people who know me would uh, describe me as... Um, as emotional or uh, <laughs> or being heartbroken. No, no, I was really only upset uh, for the people who had to stay behind, mm. the people who saw the work that they did come through, the people who were fed up getting beating and losing confidence and losing pride and self-esteem and seeing how they reacted to the success of their work and the recognition of their work. I still stay in touch with those people. We're close friends. But Sinead, it's no different than when I left Irish Rugby. It's You do 25, 26 years. You put a lot of things in, but it's not about you. My wife is very good. Olive always says, it's not about you, Steve. Um, and she's right. We're, we're service providers. If you were to leave your role and go in the morning and go, well, I put in 10 years there. Yeah, but you've done what you got paid to do. You know, if If you stay in that other place, which I absolutely get it, um, where you might be emotional. You're going to be emotional about a lot of things in rugby. Every yeah, time you lose, you're going to be crying into your handkerchief. But that's never been my perspective. You know, I feel for the people that have to stay in a situation maybe that they know is, you know, the, the concrete is clearly setting on their, on their vineyard. But that's, that's what happens. The good dictators or good governance allows good things to happen and weak ones sometimes don't. It's no different in Irish rugby or any other union. You know, you can't say that every situation, every program in a lot of those other organizations is on the rise. It doesn't, depending on the quality of people and what they do and their conviction, I suppose, and in their integrity for a certain part. It's either uh, going forward or it's not. All people see is the results.
0: Yeah. So what's there now? And, you know, is Italian rugby almost shooting itself in the foot by not continuing what you you put in place there?
1: Well, it's not what I put in place. It's what we put in place. Um, I had a wonderful group of people then, we, and we worked together. It's not mine. Um, uh, and I need to be clear on that for, for sure. If you take that we have under control from under 17s to under 19s and 20s, and say, for instance, you stop maths classes each year by one year, you're not going to run into Leaving cert. Uh, ready to perform, and that's exactly what's happened. I would say now um, that the under twenty squad that's currently playing is probably lacking fifty percent of the opportunity to develop that their predecessors had, and within two years it'll be one hundred percent. Wow, that's it's it's not emotional; it's just a fact. If you shut down access to maths teachers for four years, uh, then you're n- you're not going to perform as well, and um, so that's what I do, is I develop systems that give you a return of investment if it's the right systems um, and the right people. It's like anything else in life. And if you shut those down, it's going to have an effect. Um, And you can see that already, um, unfortunately. Uh, But the same happens everywhere, Sinead.
0: And how do you mean you can see it already, And you know, as you mentioned Um, there?
1: The under-20s, when you see it in their performance, you can see that they've lost two matches they could have won for sure, uh, because the the attitude was there, the commitment was there, but the precision and the effectiveness, which you would get from development, is not. You can see the under-18s already lost to, to France, I think, last week, 74-something. Um, I'm sure France were strong, but that shouldn't happen. But remember, that's two years that those players have not had any of the access to coaching and development that, and the SNC development that their predecessors had. It's, it's, it's simple. If you suck oxygen out of a room, you're not going to be able to breathe. But I said, it's not just Italy. I mean, you can look at it and see the same thing happening as some of the other Six Nations, um, which is why they're in trouble, because they, they've been selling and drinking wine without looking after the vineyard. It eventually catches up with you in anything.
0: Yeah, so cause we feel like, you know, we're entering into a really good period now with Italian rugby. So do you feel like it's going to turn again?
1: It has the players and it has the players for the next four years, five years, because they're on an average age between 22 and 24. So twenty-two. if they stay fit, they will arrive in, I suppose, uh, 27 in their top peak. If you look at the Irish team at the moment, that's around their profile. They're at that You know, they're at that age in terms of average age, so they've benefited from participating. But if you're not supporting that system with players coming through, then you don't create a bottleneck. You don't create a critical mass of competition and you lose confidence with those players who are not winning or not developing. So the short term future in the next four years, I think, is pretty good, especially for Treviso, who have access to the best players who who have come through. And the national squad, you know, um, there's a whole bunch of guys there that still haven't kicked through because of injury or whatever. And when they kick through, um, it's going to be a pretty good squad by 2027, much better than now because it'll have that experience. However, yours, as I said, if you're only looking at the present and you're not keeping an eye on the future, it's going to come back and bite you in the backside. Um, So, yeah, I'd be worried about that. I'd be worried about that because if you're not doing anything, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what's What's going to happen? And um, but luckily enough, a lot of the other unions are in a similar position. Um, but we don't have that uh, culture, that school's culture, to support it. If you're not doing a good job, I mean, the school's culture is amazing. That the craziness of the intensity of competition does produce a certain type of characteristic. But that in itself is not enough. But it's better than not. Anything, they're not doing anything anything else. So yeah. So listen, it's it's their challenge. It's not a difficult thing. They've done it before. The choice is really theirs as it is everybody else. You don't look back, you know, and start crying about it. You you move forward and you, as my wife always says, that there's uh, consequences for things. And, uh, yeah, it's in their hands.
0: It's a pretty big consequence.
1: Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Everywhere. Uh, it's n- it's not just Italy, um, unfortunately, because they struggle to get to where they are. Yeah, it is difficult for some of those people who have made that journey eventually. Who've seen their dreams come through in terms of progress, in terms of respect, in terms of all of those things to sit there and have to stay there. Yeah, it's I'm sure it's difficult, you know, Um, you know, I don't like to see it. But as I said, it's the same in a lot of other unions.
0: Yeah, um, and you would have dealt with Ange Capozzo, of course, as well. The man who set up that incredible try to beat Italy, sorry, to beat Wales in Cardiff last year and end of the year as the World Rugby Men's Breakthrough Player of the Year. He grew up in Grenoble in France and he was a scrum half as well. How did he end up playing with Italy?
1: His, he qualified through his parents and uh, we would play in Grenoble um, prior to Christmas as part of our warm-up matches and... He had sent, and his father had sent, information through to him, as they would with any talent ID. So we had the opportunity to see him and and play against him, and he was playing scrum half. And he's a very good scrum half. I can tell you now, you know, you talk about DuPont moving from 9 to 10 and back to 10. Angie can move to 9 and be, uh, I would say, easily an uh, a top class scrum a scrum half and um, you know you say the man angie capuzzo I, I i just smile at it it's more like the boy um, and yeah. you know he's i mean he's versatile he's exciting he, but he's coachable uh which is lovely um and he's a lovely person he's exactly what you see he's authentic he's respectful i mean he's a credit to to his parents um but he is french uh with italian connections um but it's funny when you invite guys in and you see how they behave. Uh, he didn't speak Italian. He spoke wow. French. And, of course, our conversations with him initially were in French. But I'll tell you what, he learned Italian pretty quick. And that's... As quick as you? And, uh, no, listen, if you talk to Conor O'Shea about Italian, Conor learned Italian quick. I took a long time because I was studying it rather than than talking and exchanging. But Andrzej... Arrived and uh, he learned Italian pretty quickly. Um, and of course, we had him then at that time and through the World Cup, and he was in the Garbizi, Paolo Garbizi squad, which is most of those guys who have come through. Um, but a very vers- versatile guy. His uh, rugby intelligence is, is incredible. I put that down to because he played scrum half um, and his yeah. intuition. Uh, but he has that speed and the skills to execute. And I really think um, he's perfect for the culture, the rugby culture of uh, Toulouse. I mean, they knew what they were doing when they got this kid, um, this guy. And if he stays fit without injuries and stuff, he'll just get better and better because he doesn't hold back. He's not someone who looks to preserve his own, sa- his own safety. He'll just go, which is one of the worrying things, especially if you're coming up against Ireland and they know this kid is going. It's a bit like um, Hugo Keenan. There is no reverse gear. He's coming at you. And, of course, if you're his parents or even Keenan's parents, you would be kind of cringing some of the time. Um, But they seem to come out of it okay because they go into it full on. Um, But the other thing about, you know, Anjay, people speak about Anjay, there's there's about 12 guys with that same level of uh, capacity coming through. And some haven't come through yet and some haven't been picked in their best positions yet. That's what I meant by 2027. And um, when these guys come through, both in the forwards and and the backs, they're going to be really, really competitive, which is wonderful. Um, and uh, sometimes I think, you know, when we speak about development work, it's overrated. You know, it's a bit like Brian. Brian came through like Gordon and all these guys that golden generation. You know, Dunica and Paul. You know, and it's nice to be associated with with what they did. But I think they were always going to come through. They're just incredible people. And all of them are a credit to their families, but they're just exceptional talent. And um, so, sometimes I think even with Anjay it's our contribution to what he did. I think is overstated. Um, yeah. Some of the other guys, the Italian guys, for instance, have to work bloody hard, you know, to come through. But now nah, I use that word a natural. Um, yeah, nah, I think he was a natural. We just gave him the opportunities, and and he took it. And I hope that players like that and um, those rare players are encouraged just to use their talents uh, rather than cor- controlled or stuffed into a game plan or something because uh, it's what everybody has joy watching is when these people do something that wasn't part of the plan and that listen what he did is not part of the plan I mean Wales yeah. with like one minute to go only had to kick the ball into touch and and they didn't and you're kind of scratching your head watching going what are you doing and then the next thing you're watching Angie going well I know he's not going to pass to somebody else so you know, let's see who who reacts to what he does. Um, but listen, it's the same with the best Irish guys and the Irish guys we've had. They're just one wonderful guys to watch.
0: But just on that, then on Kieran Crowley as head coach, you know, he won the Rainbow Cup before he finished with Benetton. there was the win over Wales in last year's Six Nations. They, they lost to Georgia last July, but they did get their first ever win over Australia in November. Why? Why is it working for him now? Um, you know that it. Why didn't it work for Canroche? If you know what I mean, why is it kind of coming together um, now for Kieran Crowley? Ah,
1: uh, that's a uh, listen. Kieran is is a lovely guy. You think I'm not emotional? You should see Kieran. He's he's a lovely guy. You know, it's you have to kind of poke poke him to see. Um, if you listen, the secret to success, I think, is you have good players. I don't know any team that's won anything of any significance that didn't have good players. Um, so, if you develop the resources, it doesn't matter who the coach is because the coach can't play. Um, and therefore, if you want to be successful, you develop good players. And Connor was part of that. Um, I would say Connor would have loved to have worked with these players because. He stayed pretty close with what we were doing, and he supported when these guys were under seventeen, under 18s. and you could see he was going. Geez, I can't wait for these guys to come through because I think Connor's vision as well was to go to two thousand twenty-seven. That was certainly our vision as well. And uh, yeah, so you know, even though you know we ask about Kieran, you know, um, I think that if he had the same players as Connor had, he'd, he'd be experiencing what Connor was was experiencing too. So I'm I'm sure he's delighted to have. This option, but with the injuries that I see at the moment, and I just keep an an eye on these things a little bit, as I do with Ireland. um, You know, there are a handful of young players who are injured, who are out, who haven't come through yet. So, I think you know he's had to select some players that he had in Treviso who would be older, which would be more a comfort to him and have a confidence than some of the younger guys. Um, But they're less exciting and they're more predictable. So, until those young guys get fit again and come through um, You know, we have a couple of guys already like Lucchese the hooker who has a long term knee injury and he's an outstanding player just at such a young age and that's one guy who's lost we have a couple of guys in the second row Favoretto who's been injured who is uh, coming through now he's back in the squad um, in the back line um, you know, there's a couple of guys like for instance we're playing uh, two guys from Treviso, Brex and Maurici who have been around a while but Menoncello, the guy that they're talking about on who's on the wing is really a 13 um so there are all these young guys that still have to come through there's a whole bunch of them um and then there are some who are just coming through now and that will take time but you know we hope that i suppose these younger players will be well established in three or four years and that will be the big project um but as i said you know ferrari don't don't just think of the next race you know they're thinking about three four years time um so a good squad for the next period and Kiran has 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 done very well to keep the ship going in the right direction
0: you know you were obviously still working there like and there's always been talks of, oh, Italy should be kicked out of the Six Nations. And last year we had it that like South Africa was going to replace, there was just speculation, it replace Italy in the 2025 Six Nations. What's it like, you know, working in Italian rugby and hearing all that kind of noise and people saying Italy should be kicked out and all this?
1: Yeah, I mean, you use the word noise, uh, you know, it depends on how much you, I mean, you pay in terms of respect to these things. And that's, a compliment is like an insult. It's, a, it's, it's only a value depending on the respect you have of who it's coming from. You know, um, it's funny because I've heard this obviously a few times in particular. I think was it the Welsh, ex-Welsh Captain Sam Warburton. Excuse me, was one of the first to, you know, to say, oh, you know, Italy shouldn't be there. And you're kind of going, well, you know, you kind of say, well, have you been involved in development? You know, have you been involved in coaching? You know, do you, do you actually know what you're talking about? to be honest, and how do you feel right now? How is it working out for you now? You know, um, and the nice thing is the Six Nations is not just about the seniors, it's about the women's and it's about the under-20s. So if you kick someone out, you have to kick them out at all levels. And the Six Nations were very careful and very deliberate in what they're setting up. It's the best competition in the world and it's not just a senior competition. And they know what they're doing. And a lot of the people, if not, well, certainly the people that I've dealt with in the Six Nations over the last God knows 20, 30 years are clever people. They know it's more than just finance. They know they've a very valuable asset that they need to protect. And I have confidence in those people. Um, but when you hear people kind of who are supposed to talk about rugby are talking about these things, you're kind of going, are you running out of things to talk about? Is this just you know bar talk? And it, if it is, it's fine. I don't kind of do it myself, um, so I don't get involved. If it's someone that I've worked with, which is nearly everybody in Irish rugby at this stage, I think most of the people, nearly all the players that I've worked with are either coaching or in media, and they do a wonderful job. If I hear one of them talking like this and kind of going, ah, okay, you know, um, you kind of go a bit disappointed you're not thinking this through a little bit or you've forgotten where you came from. Um, but usually it's not our guys, it's usually... The ones abroad who are struggling themselves so if you know it's a little bit like the black cat you know where you're under pressure yourself you start going oh look there's a black cat and everyone turns around so you get out of the room um so yeah you know you don't kind of worry about it but i tell you what it's when you're there and you see the effect it has on the people who really are emotional who care who are passionate and who get involved who've given up their lives for these things then yeah th- you have to spend a bit of time saying guys listen don't worry about it. You know, we just focus on what we control and uh, and that's the most important thing. So, yeah, it can be very, very hurtful. I think people in media in general should really think about the responsibility they have before they say something um, because it's what a lot of people believe. But again, no, listen, I'm not here to lecture them. There's consequences. You know, if you want to say something stupid, it's, it is a stupid thing. I mean, who's going to go to with the greatest respect? I love South Africa. I've been there nearly twenty times. I've supported programs out there. But if someone says, "Steve, do you want to go to Rome for a weekend with Oliver? "Do you want to go to Bloemfontein?" Uh, Bloemfontein's nice, but no, I think I'll go to Rome. You know, it's a, it's a Six Nations is more than that. It's a it's an event. It's where you want to spend your time. So, as long as it stays like that, rather than just money or things like that, uh, I think they'll make good decisions. Um, so, uh, so, I don't kind of spend the nights worrying about it.
0: Do you sense, though, with the way it kind of finished, like would you, like, would you sense kind of of unfinished business with Italian rugby? Is that kind of lingering?
1: Not so much that, as, and again, similar to Irish rugby, you just look at the potential that you could have um, contributed. And if people want to make that journey, that's great. If people don't who are in control, well, then that's their responsibility. So, um, and you never reach, You never reach the destination anyway, Sinead, in what we do. It's always a journey. And all you try to do is just make people better in that journey. Um, And then they go and then they do things that make that special thing happen. And I said, it's no different than when I left Irish rugby or Italian rugby. You look back and go, yep, we could have, but you don't cry into your handkerchief. It's very funny. The best, I suppose, the best description of what I do came from honorio who was a council member in the, who can you imagine this now this this guy's a wonderful guy and his family is a very old old family in rome and um in actual fact his uh, his accommodation his house is i think about 50 meters from saint peter's basilica so when you're standing up having an aperitivo on his balcony you can actually see into into the vatican and um, it's literally not bad. it's not bad okay he's a very very wise man and we're having Dinner one night, we're standing out on the balcony, and I'm looking at the, at, at this view. I mean, I'm sure if if, wow. if there was a toilet for the Pope, you could probably see it. It was just ridiculously <laughs> close. <clears throat> and he says, "Do you see that building up there, above on the right hand side?" And I, I kind of noticed this square building. And he said, "I said, what is it?" And he says, uh, "He says that's the." the Vatican Palace. And I said, okay, it's, a, it's, it's an incredible building I'd never seen because you're just totally distracted by St. Peter's Basilica and the statues, and it's just behind the statues. And he says, do you know who resides there? And I said, no. He says, um, that's the Black Pope. And I said, who's the Black Pope? And he says, it's a superior general of the Jesuit order, the Society of Jesus. Now, I'd worked in Belvedere College for four years, so you'd think I would have known these things. And I didn't and he says yeah the black pope he says so i said why is he the black pope and he said well the pope wears white and this guy wears the garb of the jesuit which is the black garb and he says and he's the most powerful person in the jesuit order which is considered the most powerful order uh, in in the church and uh he says but you never see him so you never even hear him he doesn't come out to the front and he doesn't do things but he's very influential obviously in terms of the future of the direction of the church he says you're like the black pope and I just thought what a description you know uh, so you know you kind of say your legacy or stuff like that no yeah. I enjoy what I do from the position that I do it and um, and that gives me I suppose the the satisfaction to see people realize their potential and move towards it and anybody who knows me in Irish rugby, will probably say the same thing. Um, I think my wife says it best. You know, she says, uh, she was asked I got a few months ago, and I, I remember someone said, like, well, what do you actually do? You know, cause, uh, and she says, she just looked at me, and she says, listen, you know, he just makes people look good. And I kind of said, yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's all that's right. <laughs> yeah, as long as you're happy being in the background, it, it's fine. You just get on with it. Um, but you can't do it without good people around you. Um, and I've been very fortunate to have wonderful people in Italy and in Ireland um, around. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So just before we wrap, just a few other questions, Stephen, and you're so good with your time. Thank you. Um, so when you left the Italian Federation and just like the, when you left, uh, finished up with the RFU that time, did did the offers come rolling in from any other union for your services or
1: no unions don't don't work like that. Um, you know they move quite deliberately and slowly. Uh, unions are big organizations, um, and uh, yeah, you know the I I wasn't looking for anything. I mean I'd been away for a while, and some of those years were in isolation and COVID. So I wanted to just connect again um, with my family and my friends, and just take a break. I've been doing this a long time. When you add the the IRA, the RAFU experience to it. And so I just wanted to do exactly what I'm doing now, um, which is just take invitations wherever they are to make a difference with people and help stimulate their thinking. And also, I I love, I suppose working isn't the right word, um, personality profiling. I've been doing that for a long, long time, and I'm lucky I've stayed in contact with a group and a company that do it all over the world. And from time to time, they've on a monthly basis, they kind of phoned up and said, you want to go here, 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 here. You know, in actual fact, I was I was supposed to be in Turkey last week, um, and that was cancelled, which gave me the opportunity to come here um, and do that. So I love doing those things without having to stick to a schedule. Um, yep, I had a couple of offers um, in terms of high performance and directing and systems and stuff like that, but it was just too soon to go again. But um, I'm starting to consider a couple of options now, uh, which may mean having to leave again, uh, which I don't mind because. I've done it before um yeah I, I i had some conversations with uh with uh my buddies in the rfu um but you know it's like my first technical director uh george spotswood used to say you know plus um in terms of things and changing is it is say, you know that lovely french saying he said you know plus change, change, plus same shows you know the more things change uh, the less the they stay the same or the more they stay the same and the reasons that I'd left originally, um, yeah, it reinforced. I think it was the right thing to do, and um, the feedback that I got when I linked up, yeah, you know, my my wife would probably say yeah, it was probably disappointing conversations. That you kind of expected maybe more, I suppose, an open uh, approach. But listen, as I said, there's consequences for everything. People make decisions, and you just respect it. So yeah, I'm honing in on something now, on what the next challenge may be. Uh, I might have to make a decision in the next week or two weeks or three weeks, four weeks. But at the moment, I've just really enjoyed that break Um, because what I do is not common. you know, It's not out there. You don't look in the golden pages and see 10 people doing what I do. So it's only something people will look to if they think they need it. If they don't think they need it, then then it's not something that's on the table, but lucky enough, yeah, I'll probably start my next challenge soon. I think
0: just finally looking ahead to this weekend's game, what will it be like for you? Uh, you know, watching Ireland play Italy and in Rome, and what you know, when you've such had such a part to play in, in both teams, uh, development and all the rest, what's that like for you, and who's going to win? Ah,
1: listen, it's you know, I'll probably be closer to the players in Italy because I've had them more recently. The Irish players, I don't think any. Um, I think they've moved on. That generation has moved on, which is a sign of how old you're getting. And um, This Irish team is, is such a mature team. It's well at its peak in terms of uh, where it sits. It's got seven incredible ball carriers in the forwards and the eighth player is probably the smartest rugby player of his generation. You know, they could beat anybody in the world on their day and they've shown that, Um, whereas you know, Italy have probably shown they can beat anybody in the Six Nations on their day. So uh, it's in Rome. Um, I think Italy, if Paolo Garbisi is playing, will have a wider range um, of options, but ultimately you'd have to say that when you think of the average age and the experience of one team compared to another team, one team is really kind of simmering for 2027 to peak, the other team is trying to simmer now, hold, and uh, win a World Cup um so that's that's the reality and that's the difference this is a wonderful team that stayed together um in terms of uh, ireland when ireland play listen uh, you always want the, i always want want them to win except when italy play then you're sitting back and going you know what whoever whoever deserves to win the match should win it because you just stay neutral and yeah. it's wonderful for the first time in 32 33 years uh not to be involved in a six nations it's uh it's 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 great you just sit back and you just watch it and you just try to enjoy it and um, so I I think Ireland are just on a different level if but again you look behind the scenes and you go you know there's a lot of pressure that when some players are injured people start doubting them and that's the media that's the common opinion and uh, and if they're saying that maybe there is some truth that you know the next uh, level of players may not be at the same level and that's the challenge in terms of what we do isn't it it's to make sure that yeah. we have the players to back up the players who are there, so yeah, uh, I think Ireland will be. They won't get as easy as they think. In terms of the public opinion, I'm sure the team don't think it'll be easy at all, um because they play the they're on the field. But I think uh it won't be as easy. But ultimately, I think the power will come through, and the experience, yeah, for Ireland, for sure.
0: Lovely, uh Stephen. Thank you so much for your oh, time, pleasure. especially joining us uh, from America. Thank you very much, and the best of luck in the Thanks future. Thanks very much, Nate. Thank you. Will and Luke will be back tomorrow to look ahead to the Italy Ireland game with special guest E. McKinley. There will also be a left wing on Thursday to go through the Ireland team after it's named by Andy Farrell. And I'll be back on Saturday after the game to go through it with Rory O'Connor and Keane Tracy. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. The Six Nations on the Left Wing Podcast. Rate, review, and follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast.